Hello everyone and welcome to Heart Yoga Radio. We're inviting you to join us here on the sofa and be part of our breakfast conversation on this drizzly Saturday morning here in Wales. So what have we been talking about so far? We'll be roaming around a certain roaming around a number of topics but we've been having a bit of a laugh about the old uh, Johnson story. We've got this bottle of champagne that we thought that we would open when Johnson's finally gone and we're never going to hear from him again and we thought maybe the moment had come finally resigning as an MP. Couldn't really open it when he resigned from being Prime Minister because he was kind of gone and not gone where he just seemed to just hang on in the role while the Tories fought it out in the ring as he was going to be his replacement. But yes, he just seemed to just hang on. So it didn't. we didn't have that hurrah moment. He's finally gone then. And now he's resigned as an MP and immediately jumped off that boat onto the good ship misinformation, the Daily Mail. <laughs> and uh, he's now, <laughs> again, in a position of influence. So that's that's the thing that would be worth drinking the champagne for, is Boris Johnson was finally in no position to influence our lives at all. But unfortunately, he still is. And now, he's like, he's got the perfect job, because... Um, being sacked so many times for lying. Now he's got his cast iron guarantee shameless liar certificate from the committee that's been investigating him for lying to Parliament. He's, he's now got the perfect job because uh, shameless liars is basically in the job description, isn't it, for, uh, for Daily Mail yeah, yeah. Uh, writers? Yeah. <laughs> Although in some ways it feels like uh, when I first heard about this it was, feels like a bit of a step down for Johnson maybe that's like it's like really you know he's really with the gutter press with the kind of people he despises and I think he would have much preferred to have got his old position back in the telegraph where he could be a toff again <laughs> but I think now he's seen the advantage to writing in the Daily Mail where he can create or rather recreate the persona for himself of being like you know just one of the lads, cheeky, cheeky, naughty chappy, you know, having a having a pint down the pub with my mates, just like everybody yeah. else. And uh, he's he's really in the right place to do that, unfortunately. So, although the Daily Mail, like him, is uh, certainly waning in its influence, um, not feeling terribly happy about the two coming together. And I don't know if you've seen the uh, Boris Johnson's promotional video of himself. <laughs> oh my God, it's awful of uh, of how he's now is going to write for the. I think he describes it as the illustrious yeah. Daily Mail, which is like somebody had to kind of like hold a gun to his head to probably to say that. Um, but he almost looks like he's kind of reading from a script, and he can't really be asked. He isn't. He's he's just performing because he's just sort of been told to and that's what he's got to do and then he just sort of like walks out the frame at the end <laughs> like all right that's it I've job done my job bored now I'm going so it's uh yeah I'm not sure quite what 
what he's planning, but it does seem so far that it's uh, he's going to work up his story and gain public sympathy. Um, I'm a human being, which is uh, uh, Matt, Matt Hancock's line, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a human being too. I have feelings, you know, that kind of thing. And then everyone might, might, or the Daily, readership, the Daily Mail readership might start thinking, oh, yeah, good bloke, Boris, he's one of ours. <laughs> and then he can use that to his own advantage at some point in the future. So, yeah, it's not quite champagne time just just yet. It does seem to deprive us of this, this victory over and over again. That's part of his many talents, I suppose. He was reading out one of the, the many tweets that he's been uh, passing before his eyeballs this morning, which are very much to the effect of everything I've just been saying. What, what did that one say? Um, oh, yeah. Uh, great CV, Johnson. Sacked for law in 1988, sacked for law in 2004, won an election by lying in 2019 and resigned for lying in 2023, gets a new job to tell lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> I must like that actually. <laughs> that is pretty much, that's pretty much how it is. That's uh, perfect. So um, what do you think Johnson's going to be doing? Do you think my uh, little... A uh, little analysis there about what he might be planning to use his, his, uh, his new position for who might know, be correct. Or do you think what, he's just going to completely kind of bomb and um, go who, nowhere? Who, who knows what the fuck he's thinking, you know. Uh, uh, what I know is for, for certain is that the, the the Daily Mail's readership is declining. They are, are, Hooray! Are, I think they're losing money. Um they don't have a great reputation, obviously, not, certainly not illustrious. I mean, this paper, it's been around for hundreds of years. It started in the 19th century. Still owned by the same family, the current Viscount Rothermere. It was a non-dom, uh, in fact, who uh, doesn't live in the UK, and he's a billionaire. Yeah. Of course. And uh, as I say, they, they, they supported uh, Oswald Mosley in the 30s, and they supported Hitler. As uh, as he rose to, to power in Germany, and thought that we should, uh, the British as a, a nation should join forces with Hitler, and splashed it all over the front page, which nobody's letting them forget now. And it was, a, to be fair, you know, uh, in in their defence, not that I want to defend him, it was a long time ago, but they haven't really tamed the tack. He's pretty well fascist gutter press. As far as I can see, by the, the the way I defined fascism, anyway, yeah, you know, which you, if you care to find out, just go back over the. There are several podcasts about that. Um, I mean, it's and there are many features of fascism, but the the, the Daily Mail certainly uh, lives in in that neck of the woods. So yeah, it's got an aging readership. Young people don't read it by and large, uh, and as I say, they're dropping off, and the readership's not getting replaced. And uh, as with the sun, now the interesting thing is that it's worth somebody's while to keep these papers going, making a, making considerable losses. Because they know. get to have the politicians in power that they want. Well, it's the propaganda wing of, wing of the oligarchy. Yeah. And it's the international oligarchy. You'll notice, I mean, the, the, the sun is owned by Murdoch, who doesn't live in the UK. The Telegraph, uh, the... Um, Telegraph's owned by by the last the last of the Barclay brothers. I think there's only one of them left. They don't they don't live in the UK, 
will pay any tax in the UK. But they oper- they, they they conduct these propaganda operations at a loss. You know, and the truth is not a part of it. The the truth or falsehood of anything they say is completely immaterial. I mean, this this in a sense is 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 the ultimate symbol of the of the triumph of post truth. You know, that the post truth newspaper yeah. uh, gets to employ the post truth uh, politician who, in fact, made it all the way to prime minister before being ousted by his party as an embarrassment. Because, I mean, basically, he was found, and they knew he was going to be found to have lied about these parties when they were partying and behaving as normal, when other people uh, uh, were were watching their relatives die through a glass screen or over over Zoom, you know. Couldn't be with with their dying relatives at the height of the COVID pandemic, which killed uh, hundreds of thousands of people in this country. So, anyway, he took a roasting from the committee, public the standards committee, whatever it is, a committee, <laughs> a standing committee of the House of Commons, the job of which is to investigate complaints against parliamentarians, and they 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 had they, had, they, they held a, um, an investigation into Johnson and then came out with a damning report. There is a lot of dead cat about it, but at the same time. It's, it's worth a comment because I think it's this quintessential moment, you know, it's this, this apotheosis, this completion of, 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 of post-truth, you know, that we get the post-truth Prime Minister. The day after he's damned by the committee, you know. And it strikes me that they have been careful and, and made a reasonable job of it. I don't expect parliamentary committees to always make a reasonable job. So high profile, though, I think they would yeah. have really made sure. Yeah, well, they've got they've got it. I mean, and and it's it's kind of it's Parliament at its best. The committees and the committee work where they do all the detail and all the rest of it, and and where they are prepared to sort of quiz advers- adversarially almost. You know, people like the prime minister or like like the chief of the metropolitan police or so on. You know that they get to answer to the elected representatives. So there is, if there is any good work in Parliament, it probably happens in committees, but the whole institution is so corrupt that in general I don't trust anything that it does, anything, almost regardless of who's doing it. There's a few people with integrity there, but not many. You probably count them on two hands. So I tend not to trust it, but I have had a little look at this committee's work and it strikes me that they, they, they did make a reasonable job. And they kind of saying he was stitched up by Harriet Harman, you know, <laughs> who's who like a, a Labour grandee. Uh, Harriet Harman's been around, I think she, she might have been in the Blair government, you know, she's been around a very, very long time. Yeah, kind of a Blairite, I suppose. Um, she's certainly not any kind of Corbynite sort of scenario, but... Uh, She's been around a long time. She headed the committee. So they're saying, like, Harriet Harman, Marxist, uh, which, you know, whatever, <laughs> communist, which she isn't. You know. <laughs> yes. And woke, of course. And wo- yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, and, uh, and she isn't that either, to be honest with you. Heads the committee. But what they, what they failed to say is the chair can't vote um, on the committee's decision. Right. So that that kind of that kind of like mm, defeats that objection to the work of the committee. The other thing is there are there are more Tories than, than, than Labour on the committee. I think it's four four Tories, two Labour. So 
I don't, uh, plus the Labour chair. So it's 3-4, but the chair can't vote. So he's actually, he's been condemned mostly by his peers. And of course, it was the, it was the Tory party itself that got him out of office as Prime Minister as, the, as, a, as an embarrassment, you know. You know, and in fact, this was led by Rishi Sunak when he, re when he, he resigned as Chancellor, right, claiming that there was a difference of opinion over, um, over economic matters. As there would be, I think. I think Johnson's a bit more of an interventionist, perhaps, than Sunak. Even though Sunak is not as much of a, of a, um, a no regulation person as least trust, for instance. You know, even economically, the to the Tories are, are riven. They are more riven than Labour, and that's saying something. They are utterly riven, and Johnson fell foul of that. That. Um, well, Johnson just loves spending money, doesn't he? Well, it, yeah, I mean, there was all the stuff about the bridge, the garden bridge and all the rest yeah, of it. Yeah, wasn't what, there going to be some tunnel under under the sea to Ireland? He, he loves his grandiose schemes. And he would be he would be an interventionist and, spent, and socially liberal. I've seen an interview with Johnson in which he, in which he says it would be reasonable to legalise cannabis. He knows many good bourgeois people who like to relax in the evenings with a split. Yeah, like himself, I'm sure. Yeah, like himself, <laughs> no, no doubt. You know, now, now that is anathema to a group uh, that we reported on the the other day, uh, the uh, the National Conservatives, who are really socially very conservative. You know, there's his, the family, Christianity, obviously no permissiveness, no drugs, no, no, no. Um, no permissiveness in society, a, a, a kind of disciplined 1950s style uniform society. So he's going to be in conflict with people like that. And there's a, there's a number of them in, 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 uh, in, in, in the Tory party, you know, and indeed in the Tory cabinet still, you know. I mean, Suella Braverman spoke at that, at that particular at that particular meeting, as did Michael Gove, who's been an ally of Johnson's in some, certainly over Brexit. You know, he spoke at that conference. So, I mean, he was partly the victim of, of, of the absolutely uncontrollable and irredeemable splits, multi-sided multi splits in, in Toryism and in the Conservative Party and in the whole project. You know, I mean, the neoliberal pro project which all of these factions are somehow uh, at least nominally committed to supporting, in as much as they would, none of them would disavow Margaret Thatcher, right? None of them would disavow Margaret Thatcher. That makes them nominally neoliberals. But that project is now hitting its own contradictions and its own limits. You know, as it would, as it would sooner rather than later, because they they're waiting right from the start, right from the inception. I mean, the biggest one being being uh, that one of the fundamental contradictions of capitalism is that you can't have infinite growth on a finite planet. If you just put it in, in in those rather broad terms, but there's no arguing with it. It's the absolute r r brute reality of matter. <laughs> so he was bound to go. It strikes me. But, you know, the final twist, the final irony, and perhaps it's not final, maybe it's the beginning of a, a whole drama of irony. <laughs> yeah. But it is the post-truth paper taking on the post-truth Prime Minister. Truth doesn't matter to them. It seems like a major, a major 
uh, project for, for ever getting on the right road is re is really to be absolute sticklers for adequationist truth where, where, where it matters. You know, it's not to say there aren't there aren't matters of interest to human beings where where we where we can't decide things simply on the basis of a factual of collecting of facts and checking of facts. You can't do that with everything. A lot of a lot of what we have to decide is about what we value. And what you value is about what you value. Yeah. And it, I mean, evaluating things for their worth and for, for whether we want to pursue them collectively as aims or not it, it isn't devoid of input from the factuality of the world and what it's possible to do in the world and what it's impossible to do in the world. It's not like that. That's out of the picture. But but the kind of final decision you might say, or the the overall decision, incorporates that factual base, but at the same time has this excess, this this reminder whereby we have to decide and compare our, our desires and wants for the future, you know. In other words, to engage in that question, the Socratic question there, how is life to be lived, you know. We, we have to do that. And truth has to be a very, very big player in that game. Yeah. Right? That's what I'm saying. And truth in a specific sense, you know, not in the metaphysical sense, capital truth, you know, I am the way, the truth and the light, capital T. That's metaphysical truth. It, it, there isn't, this isn't what we mean. The word truth has more than one meaning, but we mean adequate to the facts of the matter in as far as we can, be deter we can determine them and to the extent that we can reliably and confidently believe that they are, in fact, facts, you know, that this is the case in the world. So I imagine that the the public at some point are going to get so uh, sick they of are. the the post truth thing, and I think it's because like it it creates a very very insecure world for people where they don't know what's happening, they don't know what's true, they don't know how to make decisions like good decisions for themselves, for their children, yeah. Yeah. Um, for their families, uh, yeah. because because there aren't any actual facts to to go on Oof. and that that's a very sort of a psychologically uncomfortable state for people they sort of yeah. want to know where they are yeah. and have a bit of a handle on uh, seeing decisions that have been and promises that are made by people who have power over their lives and having a, a, some reasonable confidence that that to the best of their ability they actually are going to do those things that they're promised yeah. everybody wants to be able to make uh, like decisions which are both rational and in accord with their their, their deepest values, you know, and and they're they're not able to do that as this past truth climate kind of kind of gets worse. Uh, I do believe there's a backlash to it, and it seems that J Johnson used to enjoy enormous popularity because he was on he was on the telly, he was on quiz shows and stuff like that, and he did his buffoon thing, and yeah. he was like a man of the people, you know. He, he, so he, much he, like Trump, like he, he his got origins. He got no, got no side to him, even though yeah. he was a tough and this, that and the other. And mm. and, and it, it gained him some admiration from, from gammons and ladies of a certain age and this kind of stuff. And, and you know, young fogies and people like that. But uh, it, it, it's an act, you know. Um but it seems like the the public. I mean, one of the things that amazed me about this is how quickly everybody turned on him. His own party, the Brexiteers, who thought, well, Boris got Brexit done, and now Brexit isn't looking so good. And and also his popularity rating, you know, plummeted. So it seems like the, the public are taking the the committees kind of seriously. 
Um, so it's going to be a long crawl back for him if he doesn't tend to use the Daily Mail to to bring himself back into some position of power. Then, well, he's got he's got he'll have some influence from the, from that platform. You know, it might be that perhaps he has more more influence there. Who, who knows? You know. Yeah. But what you've got disturbing. to remember is that the job of the Daily Mail is is to manage the mob. Why the oligarchical? The handful of people that have got most of the wealth on the planet and therefore most of the power, right? Uh, a wing of, of of that oligarchy is, 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 owns the press across the world, and yet they're making losses on these newspapers. Well, they're making losses because it's worth their while to make a loss in terms of the, the power of their class and the wealth of their class. If they succeed in their job of keeping the mob controlled, and one of the, the modes of control, especially in desperate times when people are starting to stir and are looking as though they might do something, and they can turn very quickly, the people. And in a time when we've got mass, we've got strikes in pretty well every industry, long-running strikes. And there's a lot of discontent amongst there's, the public there's for a lot of discontent, reasons. A, a lot there? of discontent for a multitude of reasons. That's when you take the Bannon strategy, which is throw shit around, throw shit all over the scene. Right? So even the good stuff looks bad. Just create confusion. Mm. And you just described that confusion perfectly. People don't have, the, have uh, uh, the facts are not made available. Or if they are, there's somebody else claiming the opposite somewhere else with equal... Just as vehement, passionately, yeah. Just as passionately. Yeah. And with all the official stamps and institutes of this, that and the other mm. marks that nobody can tell what the truth is anymore. And with the threat of AI making that a thousand times worse, you know, should it be employed that way, which no doubt somebody will have a go. So that, that's, where, that's where we're at. But this is like a culmination of that, you know. It's a culmination of it in as much as bringing together... Uh, I mean, he's still got a fan base, you know, and he's, he's known. You see, fame... It's, it's capital, you know, famous cultural capital, and he's very famous. He was the Prime Minister, for fuck's sake. He's been the Foreign Secretary. He's been the Mayor of London. And he's a mediocrity. <laughs> but there he is, he has the fame, and he, he's got a turn of phrase. So, I mean, he's a journalist. That's his profession. He's a fucking jur- journalist, you know. And uh, it strikes me as a class of people who can turn a phrase, but nothing else, with a very, very few exceptions, you know. But you're asking, you're saying, a brief they want to say to me, because I can turn a phrase, you've got to trust my judgment on everything. <laughs> I kind of think, well, no, you can just turn a phrase. You know, you just, you kiss the blow on his stone. So what? Right. J- Johnson has kissed the blow on his stone to a degree, but people are seeing through it now, in general. But where this goes from here, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I'm imagining, I'm, I'm thinking a kind of a, a slow, agonising death of... The, the 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 right wing press unless they get a resurgence I mean and they're working on a resurgence that you know the, the the far right international is working on a resurgence you know I mean you say resurgence I mean remember these people are in control in a number of European countries you know and and, and our lot they're not exactly um, uh, screaming trots are they no you know no. They're an abominable bunch, you know, but some of them have gone. Rab's gone. 
Johnson just resigned Parliament rather than face the by-election. Yeah. Mad Nancy's on the fence. Mad Nancy. <laughs> Will she, won't she? Yeah, well, she's the ultimate dead cat. Mad oh, Nancy. Mad She's antiques, you know. But of course, we, we're in talk to a bit of entertainment, I suppose. Yeah. I think my wish would be now that um, uh, the, the Daily Mail readership rapidly goes down in a very noticeable way because the people actively boycott it a bit like uh, uh, Liverpoolians and Sun something like that yeah. because they because they wanted to express how much they hate Johnson that would be really that would be my wish for the future and that he really has no influence and certainly no more influence over our lives that is definitely enough anyway <laughs> so as our, our little musings for this morning I hope you found that fun and maybe a little bit interesting as well. And we will be speaking to you again soon. Okay. Might knowledge great again.